I feel like the, this is the generation that's going to come back to being the activist teacher, and the only teacher is the activist teacher. If you're not an activist, you're not really teaching, are you? You're probably just trying to, you know, pour information into somebody's head, and they're not a cup. They're not going to take it. Yeah, yeah. Sunday is oh my up. god, I am so ahead on life. Anyways, yeah. but um, yeah, so welcome back, guys. We are excited to have you. Uh, once again, I want to always emphasize on how grateful I am about you guys coming on to listening to us, following us, and supporting us. And there's big things and awesome things coming through. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I didn't introduce my co host, Sal. What's up, Sal. What's up, guys? <laughs> Sal is here, <laughs> Melanie's here, Kayla's here, hey. Dwayne's here. Um, and we have an awesome guest. I'm not going to say anything yet. Um, just get the shout outs and then we'll introduce her. So um, today's shout outs is Kayla. You, you want to share, Kayla? Oh, snap. <laughs> uh, you guys, I got featured in a video article, not like mm -hmm. a reading journal article. It's just probably two, three minutes of my adoption encounter with my mother. Um, this man, Jack Williams, he reached out to me. He is from the Happily Media News Company, and you can find them on Facebook, find their page, Happily. And it's a bunch of like all of those, like, the military reunion videos, and you know, anything that's really positive. And so he saw that, he saw my story, he saw that him and his publicist really believed in my, in my story, so they wanted to share that. So thank you so much, um, Happily Media News Company, for reaching out and getting my story up there. Yeah. Melanie told me that there's already like 90 people sharing my video, and like, like 15.5k viewers. Yeah, like, guys, we made it. <laughs> no, just kidding. Do not determine your worth over social media likes and everything. Just do like, <laughs> You are worth so much more than that. Let's make that clear. Yes, man. you guys. Um, yeah. And we'll be posting about it, guys, like, on our, we'll make a post about it. We'll be putting it on our story just as, like, like previous articles. As we start coming out on articles and little news things like this, like, recognition. you know, we want to be like showing you guys the recognition that we wouldn't be where we're at if it wasn't one for like the passion we carry obviously mm -hmm. for culture for human beings for pa like our dedication our professions you know and also for you guys that has been like tuning in constantly every week um now, yeah. so you guys giving us your ideas of what we should look into or people that we should meet yeah like, we listen to y'all Yes. So please continue doing what you're doing. Yes. You guys are fucking awesome. Yeah, it's been nice. It's been good stuff. So, um, but yeah, do you want to introduce our guest, okay. Sal? Let's do it. So we have a very, very, very special guest. Sorry, I get a little theatrical sometimes. But she is Jess. Yep. James. Yep. Jess James. She it happens to be Melanie's professor. Yes. Yeah. What does she teach, Melanie? Uh. She's my professor for children's literature. Nope. No, nope. sorry. Uh, yeah, right, capstone? It's the literacy capstone. Literacy capstone. Uh, what does that mean? I never understood that. Whenever she mentioned it, I have no idea what that means. That's such a good question. Uh, so most people think of literacy as reading and writing. Uh, right. That's the straightforward, bare bones, 
fucking minimum that you will die in this country if all you can do is reading and writing. Uh. So, <laughs> what we talk about as literacy is um, we go from multicultural literacy and anti-racist literacy, looking at ways for our students not just to survive in a racist system, but to actually become activists and to work against it. Right. We do digital and media literacy, so students having an awareness of um, what their sources are, what, what's being said online and what it means, but then also you know, thinking in terms of a lot of my students, a lot of our students play Fortnite, are video gamers, so understanding that marketplace, you know, realizing that to be a default is okay. intentionally designed to make them feel bad about themselves, so having our students recognize that um, companies are going to try and market to them along their digital interests and mm -hmm. that they have the ability to kind of resist that. Uh, we spend time talking about the kinds of skills that you develop, so literacy skills, reading, writing, boring. Uh, <laughs> visual literacy, you know, yeah. being able to yes. look at pictures and understand something. That's how I learn more. Absolutely. Same. I learn by visual rather yep. than reading. Oh, I'm a visual. I, actually, I need all of it. I'm one of those learners. Like, I need yeah. to hear it. I need to see it. And if you let me do it, I might understand. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> if you give me all the above, I'm pretty yeah. good. Uh, what else do we deal with? Literacy. Uh, trying to promote new types of literacy in the classrooms, so getting students thinking in terms of um, not just the classic novels, but comic books, graphic novels, yeah. cartoons becoming, you know, they've been forgotten for a long time academically. We haven't talked much about cartoons. I don't know if any of y'all are Pokemon fans, though. Uh, if you <laughs> watch, if you watch it, doesn't it have a lot to offer young people? Like, it has a lot to say about discipline, imagination. imagination, what it means to be a companion to somebody. Right, what it means to be a, a trainer to somebody. They're not Pokemon owners, these aren't pets. Yeah, they're these trainers. Are, exactly. Yeah. So you get to have, uh, having conversations around that kind of media instead of just looking at classic literature can really work. And then having conversations about how, how do you become a classic? Yeah. What gets to count as a classic? Does it have to be by a dead white dude? Usually yes. So finding <laughs> ways to re- uh, reclaim voices that have been forgotten in the past is wow. something that our students can do. Our children can do that. It doesn't have to just be, you know, us doing it. Yeah. yeah. So. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. Wow, that's a good niche of like... I love my job. It's literally the best job you can have. Yeah. I strongly recommend it. I'm taking like two literature classes right now. Really? So I'm taking children's literature. And this is required for your your career, right? Like, yeah. Okay. So I'm getting my bachelor's this uh, semester. That's why I'm taking all the capstone classes, which are like the last yeah. classes. I yeah, yeah. So it kind of like sums up everything. Yeah, way. yeah. That's yeah. awesome. That's cool. Well, and I've taught the children's literature class in the past, and it is a blast. Because <laughs> you get to recall. So, did you guys read uh, any of the Little Red Riding Hoods? Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, did you read the sexy one? Yeah. Uh, Angela Carter's? <laughs> oh, man. I was so happy when I got to teach. So everyone knows, like, Little Red Riding Hood, yeah, Little yeah. Girl, blah, blah, blah. Angela Carter wrote this one where she's a woman, yeah. and she uh, goes into the woods with purpose. She meets the wolf, demands that he take off his fur, blah, blah, blah. Uh, she makes him get into bed with her. Like, it's not a... It's not like him taking it. And then she... Comes a wolf, eats him. She like, no, she eats him. Yeah. Like, and then all of a sudden, it's like all the power gets forced onto mm -hmm. her. She's like, fuck yeah. Yeah, it's a really powerful feminist story. So getting to look at this, the classic 
Red Riding Hood mm-hmm. is literally a patriarchal story about why, oh, as yeah. a girl, you shouldn't go outside because it's my right to rape you if, you, no, if no, I catch you. Exactly. So yeah. having that completely turned over by a female author who's showing uh, young people a different way, and then we have these like contemporary children's versions of Red Riding Hood where uh-huh. it's she's in the city and she has like got a bike and you know, <laughs> <laughs> the only thing to worry about is the wolf wow. might steal your I'm gonna go home and like, like, yeah, like I need to do my research. Like, all the folk tales, like a lot, many so of them are like yeah. have all these dark. Oh yeah, the actual like, the horror movies. Yeah. See, my favorite is reading the Disney fairy tales in <laughs> yeah. the original forms. Like, oh, they mm-hmm. cut toes off. I didn't know they yep. cut toes yeah. off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's crazy. Yeah, because growing up, I was not motivated to read at all. And then I started realizing a lot of these stories came from like very controversial, like what we would consider controversial now. Yes. And then I was curious because I'm just a curious person at that mm. point. So I'm like, holy shit, this is different. Well, I honestly feel like if we taught kids the gorier versions, they would actually be more interested. Because, did you guys ever read those scary stories to tell in the dark books? Yes. Those were great. They terrified kids. They loved them. So finding the right balance between, um, like, scary and and frightening and then allowing your students to experience it. Here's the problem. A lot of adults feel like they have to protect children when you don't. What you need to do is offer children opportunities to experience emotions mm-hmm. and be present for them when they're going through those emotions exactly. so you can like support them in that way but mm-hmm. don't protect them from emotions it's why you get a hamster because grandma's gonna die someday and yep. would it be better if the hamster goes first exactly it's literacy so it's literally that concept of teaching students how to articulate their feelings and moving past this idea of like writing and reading as the only form of expression yeah so teaching students about dance about art about ways of expressing themselves that go beyond the simplistic Mm -hmm. form of reading and writing which is why it blows my mind that people think reading and writing is that important it is it's super important but it's like a minimal skill That's a wow. good way to see that, I guess. I wish they had this type of class when I was in elementary school. Yeah. Or you wish we something. had this type of teacher. Honestly, <laughs> though, we more people like this. We do. Uh, particularly women of color. So all mm-hmm. of them that you know, please. Cal State Long Beach is a great school, and I can be your teacher. Please come. <laughs> yes. and we, love you. Uh, we also need a lot more men in the field of education in general. So love I'm that. literally looking at the two gentlemen here. <laughs> uh, if you don't like what you do now, consider working with children. So few male role models exist in K through five in particular that we really need to have uh, children have the opportunity to see them. And if you're a man working in K through five, bring in a lady sometimes to talk. And if you're a woman working in K through five, bring in a dude sometimes to talk, right? Go giving our students the full yeah. perspective. Exactly. Uh, yeah. It'd be even better if you could bring in everyone in between the dudes and the chicks, because there are a lot of us too. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. Well, um, I know you kind of summed up a lot of like what your profession is currently. Um, what? Tell us a little bit more about yourself, like sure. your journey, your... Oh, absolutely. So I'll tell you about why I went into this profession okay. and yeah. why I left. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Uh, I was raised by white supremacists Okay. who, as a child, they gave me a lot of misinformation. They would show me things that they claimed were science that were not. They were science from like the 1800s, so science by racist white men for racist white men. Yeah. Uh, so I had a very fucked up view of the world for most of my young life. Uh, I was also, uh, you're going to consider this a strange statement, and this is a trigger warning uh, in the literal sense, because 
for people with PTSD for sexual assault, this is a warning for you. Uh, I was molested at about age nine, and from that point forward, and my parents uh, refused to deal with it or cope with it and were, in fact, the perpetrators in my mother's case. Um, so that taught me very clearly and coherently that you can't trust these people, <laughs> that they are liars. Uh, I wasn't sure if it was all white people yet or if it was just my white people, but I could tell, okay, yeah. they are full of lies. Yeah. Um, and then as I got older, well, one of the things, so nine, I was molested, and then that same year, the Berlin Wall fell, and I was watching television. So instead of focusing on what had happened to me, and instead of becoming depressed and, and really acknowledging what had ha occurred, I instead focused on the struggle of the people of Berlin. I noticed how people would fight for freedom and fight for democracy and how they would come together. And that became something that really saved my life because my family had been t teaching me things like Nelson Mandela is a terrorist. <laughs> and then I saw Nelson Mandela speak and I realized that this fuck? is the team I want to be on. Yeah, it's like, oh, okay, well, I'm team terror then. That's right. <laughs> So these, these people, these parents of mine, also taught me that they hated college, they hated academics, they hated um, uh, any sort of intellectual growth because it was a threat to them, right? It's mm -hmm. always, uh, any sort of intellectual growth is a threat to white supremacy around the world. So growing up, they used to say that, oh, and I knew around the same time that I was also queer and that I'm gender queer, I'm a, um, I'm a trans person, I, I'm both. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, <laughs> Um, so I knew all that stuff pretty young. I could, I could tell it was a lot different. And my parents started saying that college universities are the places, again, pardon my language, I'm quoting assholes, where the, where the faggots go. And, and so I heard that and I was like, I should go there. Because I had always been told that, you know, the things I liked made me one of that category. So I was like, oh, oh, fuck yeah. Yes, I got so excited. I really my did. It, literally that. So when yeah. I graduated high school, I knew already I'm probably going to enjoy college. And so I started college and I, I really did enjoy it. I was able to practically sleep there most nights. I didn't have to really go home. Mm. Uh, the, the books, there were so many books. Like everywhere you looked, there was a book. So that was wonderful. Uh, Part They're of, not on fire. Exactly. <laughs> well, I'm part of, um, so from nine until like adulthood, part of being safe in that household was staying under the radar. Uh, so for me, a lot of survival came from reading books. You know, just okay. lock yourself in a book. You don't have to talk to anybody. They don't know what you're thinking. Yeah. They can't, you know, get up on yeah. you. Uh, That's true. So I started teaching, and the first teachers I met were progressive, open-minded, uh, non-white, <laughs> and it was like, Holy, and they were nice to me. And where was school? Where was the university uh, that you go to? Well, the first university I went to was UCI, and that was actually a shit show. I don't want to talk about it. Now, <laughs> <laughs> UCI was a mess. Um, yeah. I felt very economically disadvantaged. I'm also, my family's poor. Uh, so going there, like I was driving my shitty 12-year-old van with a, um, I'd just gotten rear-ended, so I had no rear window for like two years, and, oh, and I had to tie up the, the back hatch. Yeah. So I'm driving that to UCI, and literally everyone I was in classes with was like, you don't have a Honda? I was like, bitch, not everyone has a Honda. <laughs> <laughs> so that was annoying. Uh, I did that for two years. During that time period, uh, sorry, TMI, during that time period, I developed a lot of like eating disorders, major depression, attempted to kill myself a couple mm -hmm. times, uh, and then talked to my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband. Aww. Hey. <laughs> 21 years. Yeah, shout out. Yeah. yeah, Jason Harris, amazing human. <laughs> <laughs> 
So uh, I talked to him about what I could do, and my options were, well, I think I'm just gonna go ahead and kill myself so I don't have to go back to UCI, mm -hmm. because I can't tell my family that I'm not gonna go back, because mm -hmm. UCI was free, they were paying for me to go there, oh, wow. uh, and I couldn't afford to go anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So Jason, my now husband, was like, hey, how about we just lie and say that the scholarship went away and you can't go there anymore. So I did that and it worked. And my parents never found out the truth. I was able to quit UCI. I went to a community college at Cyprus for about okay. a year or maybe a semester and a half. And then from there I came to Cal State Long Beach. So Long Beach was where I got my bachelor's degree and both of my master's degrees. Wow. Yes. wow. I love it. So you're a California resident. Yes. You, you were born and raised Born here. and raised here. Okay. Spent all of my time either in Downey okay. or in a small town up in Northern California called Hayfork. So okay. it's as much of a shithole as you think it is. Have you been by Hayfork? Oh my god. Uh, the weed's great. Okay. <laughs> I believe it. That's not the shit. All right, mom said. <laughs> The number one income for people living in Hayfork Valley is, if it's not, well, the number one legal income for people living in Hayfork Valley is uh, welfare. The mm -hmm. number one income is actually marijuana. Um, well, now it's legal, so. Yeah, now it's legal. It's even worse because mm -hmm. essentially all of the small growers who were subsistence farmers, uh, mm -hmm. they were essentially subsistence farmers, uh, their business has kind of been taken away by all the big agribusness yeah. meat farms now. So you literally, where they're going to have to figure out a whole new economy of their mm -hmm. good Ooh, as I just bought two shares of it. <laughs> <laughs> did you really? Yeah, I did. I invested in one of the cannabis companies. Oh no, that's fine. No, the cannabis companies are fine. Just don't like, don't pick some individual farmer who's a subsistence cannabis farmer because they're not. literally just selling enough to eat, and now they're not going to sell enough for that. Yeah, yeah. that's enough. Yeah, that's, that's, that's cool. But yeah, so that's how I, I, yeah, I discovered that the university really was the place my parents said it was. It really was full of cool people with open minds and lots of gay folks, and I was like, yes, this is the place for me. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love There's that. a place for everybody, that. you guys. Uh -huh. <laughs> so are you, um, are your parents and yourself, are you guys close? Oh, God, no. No, okay. no. Yeah. Uh, I have not had contact with those people for about 10 years, wow. and hopefully we'll never see them again. Okay. Yeah. Well, if I ever do see them again, it's going to be scary, because it's probably going to be on the news, because I've literally had to have conversations with my therapist, uh -huh. like, uh, if, my, if there's going to be a shooter, and my dad, I'm not going to be surprised. So. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're, they're still very into that mindset. Oh, yeah, they're very much white supremacists. Um, I don't know that they're capable of, okay, not to say okay boomer about it, but they're kind of, <laughs> they're kind of at a place where they're very entrenched in their racism. Yeah. Uh, I don't think they're capable of getting better. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's crazy. I'm, it's interesting to know that you were able to step back. I'm sure it truly wasn't oh, a day to night. Oh, no. Well, I genuinely think that the trauma helped. I think if I had been, if, imagine if I had loved them. Imagine if they hadn't been abusive or if they had never, you know, molested me. I might have believed what they had to say. Yeah, there's so, so much yeah, exactly. in there, yeah. Whereas because they did so much harm like in such a short period of time, it was very easy for me to turn yeah. to the realization that they were terrible. And I agree. Yeah. I agree. Trauma does help to an extent mm. if you use it properly. That's mm -hmm. what I'm saying. You can always flip everything on its head. Oh, absolutely. Uh, trauma, I think, is one of the most useful things any human can experience if they have resilience. Yeah. And resilience is a learned skill that cannot mm -hmm. be taught without suffering minor yes. That's why hamsters. Hamster. <laughs> hamster death. Every hamster death is a minor trauma. The yeah. more minor trauma you build up, the healthier you get. There's actually, I was reading an article like maybe two weeks ago, three weeks ago, it was looking at um, 
students, so students who come from uh, low SES, low socioeconomic backgrounds, and students who are persons of color, and the odds of them having adverse childhood trauma, which is an actual term now because that's how often it's happening. Adverse childhood trauma. And what they discovered is that uh, women or young girls, persons of color and persons from low-income backgrounds are likely to experience more than four childhood uh, traumas. And that with every single childhood trauma, unless they receive like constant and immediate support, so if there's a grief uh, or you know, loss or something like that, without that support, the odds of them succeeding begin to drop. So we see similar droppage rates, rates with um, suspensions. Like, do you guys know about how if you get suspended, the odds of you yeah. graduating slowly decline? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we see the same exact thing with these childhood traumas, which tells us as educators two things. It is our fault when children fail. Yep. Because we are the ones who stood by and let trauma happen and didn't support them. Exactly. Same thing when it comes to suspension. If we tell a child you shouldn't be here, how dare we think otherwise, or how dare we act surprised when they say, I guess I shouldn't be here. Mm. Obviously. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. My high school history teacher, both of them, they were best friends. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, sophomore year, junior year. They said the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. Like, if you guys fail my class, my bad. Yep. Yeah, I'm literally here mm -hmm. to teach you. So the only possible way for you to fail is if I fail first. That yeah. caught me off guard. I was like, yeah. holy shit, it's not my fault. Nope. Like, not all the way. I'm like, okay. Yeah. Well, think about what is the purpose of education? Is the purpose of education to take to make one individual take a test and then tell them they're an asshole? Or is the purpose of education to learn a thing however long it takes so that you're good at it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely teaches us like this broken educational system. <laughs> like you were saying earlier, right? Where it's like we're not or I was saying earlier, where we're just so trained to use our first brain and not comprehend our emotions and like use those to our benefit, you know? Mm -hmm. So that when those traumas do come in, it's like shattered. That whole concept of like first brain, second brain is the thing. And it's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And it's, that's new to me. See, I don't tend to think of it as first brain and second brain. I tend to think of it as um, like the persona we want to live in, the, this thing that's talking to you. Okay. And then the, um, the, the instinctive uh, knee-jerk reactions. So when a ball is thrown at your face, you, you cannot prevent yourself from blinking. We've studied it on humans. Yeah. And you can try to prevent it, but you'll fail. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah. Emotional responses are the same way. Okay. They just happen. They are part of your neural chemistry. They are going to occur by whatever trigger is setting them off. Now, how we cognate them, how we think about them after the fact, and how we um, vocalize them, okay. that's where we get you know, effective or ineffective kind of behaviors. So okay. for instance, if somebody dies, your first biochemical reaction is going to be what it is, whether that's a sense of fear, grief, anger, anxiety, happiness. You know, yeah. Different people feel different things when that occurs. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No matter what that feeling is, though, <laughs> if you're not um, in a safe space where you're allowed to express it and then discuss it, that emotion is going to automatically be turned into persona. I'm not allowed to express it, so I'm just going to pretend it doesn't exist. Whoa. That it's is really so much of my life, yeah. Well, it's, it's yeah. Uh, you can actually talk about it as the no talk, no feel rule. It's in most American families. Uh, we don't talk about trauma, and we don't feel things. So you're allowed to cry for this long and then stop. And I think that ties into a lot of our, like, our ancestors, yeah, right? right? And like, especially like we talk about this a lot in past episodes where, for example, my mom and my Melanie's mom as well, they're from El Salvador and when the Civil War was happening, they moved on over to Guatemala, lived their life there, but it was still a trauma, right? And, but it, 
you were to sit my mom down and be like, how was your childhood? She's like, nope, we don't talk about it. We don't that. talk about it. Yeah. But it's like every now and then a sliver opens and she says, I know this song. I listened to it when I was growing up in this area. But that's it. But that's it. Like nothing else. It's like, yeah, you don't talk it. It, it never really happened. Well, and it's really common actually with tra uh, not tragedies, with um, major trauma, cultural traumas. So if you look at uh, the survivors of the German concentration camps, very few of them discuss it. Yeah. If you look at the survivors of the American um, Asian concentration camps, very few of them discuss it. Mm -hmm. If you look at the interviews that are being conducted right now with the survivors of our concentration camps on the southern border, they have a hard time discussing what mm -hmm. they've been through. Mm -hmm. So there's a recognition that when a large group of people undergo the same thing, because they know we've all experienced it, there's a desire to shut down and not talk. What we really need is the second generation and the third generations to start asking, probing wow. questions yeah. in respectful yeah. ways. Yeah. Uh, it's the way we open up those conversations. Yeah, yeah I, I guess that's, sometimes it's hard. Oh, no, very. Yeah. So you know one thing that really bothers me, going back to the conversation about like how the Christian church may have had something to do with like our weird family situation? Yeah. yeah. In early mestizo culture, in indigenous cultures all throughout the continent, emotions and sensitivity were valued. Being able to talk about and feel large emotions, being able to weep, being able to, to exult were good. It was only with the, um, through colonialism and the increase of like white dominance that you started to see no talk, no feel become a thing again. So I want to go back to the, yeah. I want yeah. to go back to indigenous ways where we're allowed to have feelings oh. and the bigger your feelings, the more close to a shaman you might be. Oh, that that's what I want. That's interesting. Yeah. That's what our ancestors taught us about. Yes. Yeah. 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 But it's, I never really, never really put it all that way back. I just mm -hmm. always thought, you know, our indigenous people just never really, really oh, spoke. No. Yeah. No. About like, everything they spoke was destroyed by uh, imperialist forces. Mm -hmm. Indigenous peoples on this continent valued emotional expression and they had it in their art, they had it in their early yeah. writings. Um, there's like one codex or like a few codex that remain from um, Mayan writings. Mm -hmm. Very rare, very hard to find that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, in those writings, descriptions of men beating their breasts and crying yeah. are common. You don't oh. see that in no. this, the no, concept of whatever the fuck Western civilization is, which we all know is just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's just a dog whistle for Nazis. Okay, good. Just making sure. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, that, that kind of, um, that imperialist mindset really is part of what crushes them. Because the thing about it, if we had people beating their breasts and weeping, demanding their rights, would it... Would things yeah. be the way they are right yeah, now? No, we couldn't. So you can't allow that. Yeah. You, as an authoritarian structure, you have to shut that down. I think there's just like a lot that we haven't learned from our ancestors yes. and our indigenous people. And it also ties into not wanting to yes. learn from it. You Absolutely. know, where it's like, no, we're different. No, like, and just so much to it, right? Well, it's, it makes sense because if you think about it, the early colonials who were coming over here literally were calling indigenous people demons. Yeah. So you have this mindset that is not just dehumanizing, but taking their spiritual existence and identifying it as wickedness. Like, that's way worse than just saying you're not a person. Yeah. That's saying, yeah, sure, you're a person, but you're Satan, the worst person. Like, no, we, that's, yeah. so that kind of um, attitude, and we see that mostly directed against women, by the way. So indigenous mm. women used to have more power as well. Um, but women in power threatens the imperialist forces that were working at the time. Yeah. Imagine if we had been in a world where women were the ones doing it. I don't know, things would have been different, but still bad. So yeah. that's yeah. what <laughs> think about that. 
Yeah, I believe there should be balance. It's like, you just work together. If one yeah, does yeah. one thing more than the other, it's like, somebody's going to fuck it up and they're going to blame, blame the people that are in charge, as you yeah. can say. Yeah. There was, um, there's a customer that comes in here quite frequently. She's studying in indigenous and, like, cultural um, studies, pretty much. Mm-hmm. And she actually just went to Canada for, like, a conference or something. To, she's, like, getting her grad, getting into grad school. But anyways, um, she came in the other day and she's like, I'm reading this book and I'm, I'm terrible at remembering names and like, yeah. like I'm really bad at it. But um, she told me about this book she's reading on how, no, sorry, wait. No, she was talking to an elder from this circle that she goes about like studying indigenous women. And this elder, she said uh, something about people that are schizophrenic, right? Where they are pretty much like the ancestors are tuning into them. So these, like languages that are so-called lost um, are coming back but because society is like you're schizophrenic you're damaged you're broken you need to get onto this medication this program this institute it pretty much makes them sound like and I'm not I'm not trying to say like it's kind of like a touchy right it's like because well but think about it's the treatment that matters right yeah how human beings are being treated so in more um Indigenous communities, a person with schizophrenia or with any sort of aberrant cognitive ability is still a part of the community and they're going to be treated and protected as part of the community or depending on what's, like I have dyslexia so I tend to think kind of weird. I might have been like, I might have been a good one in the community. I might have gotten some extra you know, credit or whatever. Yeah. In this community, like you said, schizophrenia is an illness. So instead of you have either your parents and if they cannot help you and sustain you, you have homelessness and death. And yeah. Or prison, yeah. which yeah. is yeah. worse. Yeah. So yeah. that that should not exist. There's no reason, especially if we all look at how many people are actually on the world, uh, on the planet. We look at the amount of resources. We all know that we have enough to sustain everyone. Mm-hmm. It is the way we structure our communities and our civilizations that is choosing who gets to be a winner and who gets to be a loser. Yeah. And it's almost always the cognitively different, the um, physically different, or anyone who is uh, considered or deemed weak by the powers that be. So under capitalism and patriarchy, the weak are women and the working class. Despite the fact that any working class person I know could kick the shit out of any of my colleagues at the university. I'm sorry, they don't fucking walk ever. (laughs) (laughs) Wow, that is so interesting though. Like, I never, yeah, that's, it's a system that we live in yeah. educationally, economically, financially, like well, economically, financially, like everything. It's just it's definitely a broken system, yeah. very broken system. But Honestly, it's like, it's how crazy. do you, how do you, and I guess we were talking about this earlier, or you guys mainly, but like, how do we overcome that? How do we become a change for it? You know, when as well, we have to be realistic, right? We live in a country, we live in a state where it's almost nearly impossible to fucking like own your own property. Yes and yep. live off of a minimum wage. To own your own property. Let's think about that one while we're answering this question. <laughs> you already know where I'm going. <laughs> <laughs> Next week is Thanksgiving. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. <laughs> I don't talk about uh, tall hats or bell buckles on the shoes. I talk about what we need to be grateful for. Yes. The Tongan people have survived a genocide, and Cal State Long Beach is literally on their oh, land. Yes. So when we talk about owning land or owning property, I think we need to go back to a conversation about can you really own this thing? Yeah. Uh, the Tongan people would probably argue that they owned it first. So maybe having a conversation about that. Uh-huh. Uh, 
I would make the argument that humans own the planet. But I also make the argument that humans own space. <laughs> I really want us to go to space. That's some my fault. And that's how much I want us to go to space. Um, there's this really great book called, and it, it deals with um, how to answer the, how to fix things, how to get yeah. people on the right start. Uh -huh. Uh, it's called Earthseed by Octavia Butler. Earthseed? Yeah, Earthseed, not Earth seed. S-E-E-D. S -E -E okay. And it is about, um, it's just kind of a science fiction book about the near future and uh, climate refugee status. Okay. Um, however, in the book, the concept of Earthseed is this idea that human beings being an intelligent species capable of empathy, emotion, creation of art, we shouldn't be on one rock that can be destroyed by one meteor from outer space. Like maybe spread us out a little bit so the whole universe doesn't lose something because of one rock floating in space. Yeah. Uh, so how do you get to space if you live in a world that is more focused on individual profit, individual accomplishment, and individual successes than on the collective accomplishment? Mm -hmm. yeah. So. All human beings are the seed of the earth, right? And the goal of earth then is to seed the universe with more humanity. Looking at our position as educators, we are cultivators of the earth seed. I know this can sound all crazy and I'm sounding like a kook and that's fine. The children that are growing up in each generation have choices that they can make. They can choose to be apathetic, they can be educated to be apathetic, to believe that they have no um, chance to change things, or we as adults can educate them to understand their power as activists and the ability to change the world. I think what often has happened in the past couple of generations is that we have a lot of um, we have a lot of propaganda coming out of after post-World War II, during the Cold War era, a lot of propaganda that really terrorized one certain generation. The boomers. Uh, <laughs> sorry, guys. Um, it, it did. It terrorized them as children. Yeah. These are people who grew up doing nuclear holocaust drills yeah. under their desks. The same way that our children today are having to do live shooter drills. Mm -hmm. What kind of trauma is that going to lead to? What kind of weird behavior is that going to lead to when these people grow up and become adults? Probably similar behavior that the boomers have because of their Whoa. torture and everything. So yes. in our classrooms, having safe and healthy conversations about, hey guys, I know we're gonna do this drill, but you all need to know that you're more likely to get struck by lightning than a shooter. And if you wanna actually stop active shooters, hiding under a desk isn't gonna do it. What's gonna do it is having conversations about gun policy in the United States of America, having conversations about broadening the safety network for people who are impoverished or people who are suffering from mental illness, having conversations about lowering class size, Class size can be connected to the yes, increase in school shooters. You need to have smaller classes to have the personalized connections. So these are all things that we as educators, through our union and through our activism with other unions and with other um, businesses, we can advocate for now. And we can train our students how they are going to continue this activism into the future. Yeah. And I think that's, honestly, yeah, I think that is how like we do it. Wow, I, well, never, yeah, I never saw that. I don't think we do it by stopping buying plastic straws, by the way. Yeah, like as an individual. <laughs> Paper straws right here. <laughs> and that's great. Those are fantastic. Well, you're a business. You need those. But like as an individual, you're not going to end climate change. Yeah. You're not half, you're not even a billionth of the amount of damage that ExxonMobil has done through climate change. But if we as a union of educators, mm -hmm. if our students as a union of learners come together and say to 
ExxonMobil, to our United States government, this is unacceptable behavior, we need legislation that prevents this, yeah. then it becomes yeah. possible. Yeah. Uh, just look at what's happening with PG&E right now, right? Mm -hmm. the, um, the fires that they've caused and how they're about to go bankrupt and uh -huh. hopefully go the fuck away, yeah. just like they should. Yeah. Honestly. Yep. That's an interesting perspective. That's really like, I mean, <laughs> a bigger solution than just paper, not getting rid of all your plastic straws yeah. for sure. When it takes the responsibility, mm -hmm. it puts it where it should be. Yeah. Not on the individual, but rather on the collective. Mm -hmm. yeah. So individuals did not cause climate harm. Mm -hmm. groups, groups of people, yeah. powerful groups of people. Mm -hmm. We need to be powerful. And if we're not going to get there through the billions of dollars, we can get there through the unionization of our forces. Exactly. Uh, it's the whole uh, yeah. uh, open, oh, is it an open uh, system is like this, but a union is a fist, right? Yes. And it's really important. And this is what I want all of our students. We come exactly. together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I definitely think there's not enough people yet um, because I still have hope, you know? Um, I don't think there's enough people that think that way. I think. I mean, I come from like a civil a civilization. Wow, uh, we environment. live in society. I know, right? <laughs> for like uh, an environment, aka Utah, that's very like close-minded, very conservative, very so like moving out here to California, I was like, whoa! Like, I mean, I was born here, but still, like moving out here was like, whoa! There's so many fucking minds, so many perspectives, so many like feelings, like this is different, you know? And so that's why I say, like, I, I don't think we're quite there yet. Yeah, we're not gonna um, have an overnight change. Yeah, absolutely. but it's definitely like, that is a good, you know, perspective to put out there. Did you know that 22 states in the union still allow child abuse by teachers? Wow. Like, they still allow corporal punishment. So you're net, here's the uh -huh. thing. As long as children are terrorized by their educators, they will never learn to love learning. Mm. So every one of those 22 states is under a federal government. We, as yeah. citizens, can force those 22 states to stop hurting children. Yeah. Like, that is something that we can't. So thinking in terms of what can't we do, but what can we do? We can't change Utah's culture, but we can make it illegal na nationwide for people in Utah to get beaten by their teachers. That's what people don't get. There's I know. power in the fucking people. There is, absolutely. Just fucking do something It's about the it. only place the power is. Exactly. There is no power in you as an individual. There is very little power in direct action political violence as an individual. Yeah. You get together in bigger groups and political violence becomes very effective. <laughs> in Minecraft. In Minecraft. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, yeah it, the idea that, and so many people think of themselves as individuals saying, well, I'm just going to go green. Great. Awesome. You'll feel good about that, but you will do nothing to change the system. Mm -hmm. Doing a podcast, doing something that connects thousands of people with ideas, that's changing the system. Yeah. You guys are, so I'm actually really like impressed with all of you. This is like chill. confirmation that what we're doing is oh, yeah. that's a good step. Well, part of digital technology, part of the literacy behind it is recognizing that this, these new venues of communication are where our students really take charge. Yeah. The, um, in what, uh, two, early 2000s was the civil war in Egypt. Mm -hmm. That civil war was entirely used with Twitter. Without Twitter, that war, that civil war would not have happened. We, they would not have overturned the president. Modi would not have been out. They would not yeah. have had change. Yeah. Because of Twitter, that happened. Right now, what we're seeing with the growth of acceptance of the trans community, that is because of things like YouTube and Twitch and Twitter. Mm -hmm. or, uh, public forums, or they should be public forums, they're not right now. Someday, <laughs> someday <laughs> public forums. <laughs> uh, 
but social networks where people are able to post themselves, get viewed, and suddenly realize that you're not alone in the world. Yes. So looking at like content creators can yeah. really change. And so our students, our, our, our students are, A-R-E, the future content creators. Mm -hmm. So asking them, you know, are you going to create content that's just you yelling the fucking N-word while you play video games? Or are you going to create content that's you fighting against those who want to exactly. yell the N-word while playing video games? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, it's learning how to like use these things that are getting given to us, right? Mm -hmm. That can be dangerous. Yeah. That can hurt oh, us, yeah. right? But then using it to our benefit and then for humanity, humanitarian like like issues that we're facing. That's right. what I did at first with my social media. At first it was all just about the publicity and getting the likes and the, you know, attention and everything. But then I just totally went on a huge cleanse, like deleted everything for, mm -hmm. for like four or five months. And then after now it's like I use Instagram, I use YouTube, all that to share my voice and that's a huge thing I advocate. It's like I'm not here like showing you all of guys this just about my life. I'm also letting you know that <laughs> just like me, you have a voice too. Yes. Whether whether it means that you you might not think that your life is important, you don't have anything going on for you, you do because someone out else out there can relate to you. Oh, and absolutely. it just takes that one yeah. person, just yeah. keep doing it, yep. share. Yeah. When the more voices we get accumulating together, the harder it is to ignore us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, and that's how we built a lot of our network. Yeah. That's yeah. a lot of how we've like gotten connected to like Kayla being in an article, myself, like, you know, Latin X, like you guys like you know, projects happening. Like, a lot of our projects, a lot of our funding, you know, we're not for heaven's sake, we're not registered as a nonprofit, but We've, what is it like five done projects? Things. We've done like five yeah. projects out in Guatemala where we've supplied, whether it is just for one kid or 20 kids, mm -hmm. you know, it's like a lot of this networking has been done on like a social platform and we've been, we've been able to use it to our benefit. We because don't need a piece of paper to tell us about exactly. what Exactly. Yes. Uh -huh. yeah. Exactly. And you don't need a person in authority saying it is okay for you to speak, mm -hmm. which yeah. is I think what most, uh, most people are waiting for as adults. Yeah. Their whole childhood was a person in authority saying it's your turn to talk now. Exactly. Yeah. And then when nobody's there to call on you, you just yeah. shut the fuck up. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And connecting it with school, right, as well, where it's mm -hmm. like, you go from K to 12 and then go to, straight to university, and it's like, I, I was taught that perspective, right, mm -hmm. where it's like, I go to college because that's the only way I can make a living, mm -hmm. yeah. right? I had a different perspective of college than, than you, mm -hmm. right? You were like, I'm excited to yes. go to this, right? <laughs> but I'm over here like, fuck, man, I have to go to fucking college, and then that's where my anxiety came in. That's yeah. what so social anxiety yep. and frustration, debt, debt yeah. you know, oh my so, god, so much debt. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, things like that, where it's like, especially with being first generation, like, yeah. I wasn't taught on how to do a college application, yep. how to that's apply for, yeah. yeah, how to do those stuff. Like, yeah. I didn't know, right? Yeah. And so then it's like, fuck this, but hey, don't worry, I got college debt. That's, that's exactly. when we're simultaneously living in a culture that tells us you must go to college to survive. Mm -hmm. And once you've graduated college, we don't need you. <laughs> like that's pretty harsh yeah. to yeah. find out that your degree, all that work you put in mm -hmm. is not gonna be put to use. Is exactly. not necessarily, so thinking in terms of remodeling our entire educational system so that it's an actual humanistic system, yeah. College should be free. I'm a Bernie bro, sorry. College should be free. And then those who don't go to college should have access to free uh, trainings in community colleges, places like that. And not just like welding and shit. Communication classes, mm -hmm. social emotional everything. classes, yes. everything. Mm -hmm. I'm 
I want to be taking classes when I'm 85 years old. Like my goal is to be yes. taking classes when I'm that old. Well, you're stimulating uh, that. You're adding to your, yeah. you're giving yeah. your, your brain food. You're giving it alive. You know? You well, never stop learning. The phrase I like to use in class is lifelong learner. I'm a lifelong learner. Uh, and the minute I graduated uh, my final degree, I was like kind of freaked out. I had some anxiety. I, I wasn't sure what was going to happen to me. I knew I had a job, but I didn't know how I was going to keep learning. Um, no. It wasn't until I realized that YouTube exists. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, this is how I keep learning. So since yeah. I graduated, I've learned clarinet. I'm starting to pick up piano, and I just learned how to do a chord. You're That's a Renaissance cool. woman. Yeah. Uh, what else do I have? Um, oh, ukulele. I taught myself ukulele wow. on, on YouTube. So That's getting so cool. having people realize that that uh, the utility of that becomes oh, really yeah. valuable. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And I like that you mentioned that you're like a she's like, like a Renaissance woman. Cause that's my goal. Like, I want Excellent. to be a Renaissance man. Excellent. That's what I want to be. I want to be a full-time student. Excellent. Yep. You know? Do it. My best recommendation for that is become a professor. You get free classes. <laughs> you get free classes. And so the way I teach the classes, uh, I always pick new material. So every semester I'm learning. That's so, awesome. so I don't have to like I don't have to teach really. I just show up and they do much of the work, and it's pretty nice. <laughs> I think in teaching in general, you're always learning. Like, yeah. Yeah, and that's awesome about being a teacher. I feel like being a teacher is the most important thing yeah. anyone in our society can do. Mm -hmm. And I respect right. people that do it because I know I have a tough time doing mm -hmm. that. Absolutely. Because of the educational system that I was mm -hmm. in. I didn't realize that, oh yeah, this is fucking important until I was in college. And I decided, I decided to go to college when I was a fucking senior in high school, gotcha. like the last month, yeah. I was like, all right, because I saw everybody else stressed out. They want their application letters like to come in, like, come on, like, I need to fucking get into this college. I'm like, you know what, fuck that, I'm going to trade school. I want to learn what I exactly. want. Exactly, yeah. I had a much better educational experience at my community college than I did at UCI. UCI was classes of 70 to 100 people. Yeah. I never got to talk to a professor. Uh, dude, the school was, I fucking hated that school. The school was so gross. I was, at that time, I was a psych major because I thought I wanted to help people. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it was such a toxic educational environment that oh, students man. would literally deface the books in the library to prevent other students from getting access to them because yeah. your grade depended on them failing. So you would see students ripping pages out of books. You would see students uh, stealing the books so that no. you just didn't have access. And again, I was coming from a low-income background, so I wasn't buying my books. I was going to the library and getting them that way. Yeah. And then discovering page 27 through 34 didn't exist. Wow. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was dark. Yeah, that school was dark. I hated that place. Yeah. Whereas community college, I got to have um, smaller class sizes. Mm -hmm. I had my first philosophy class there and was like, oh my god, they just keep asking me questions. <laughs> but they're not telling me. <laughs> so that was exciting. Yeah. And then by the time I got to uh, Cal State Long Beach, I realized that I, I liked how you said, oh, this shit's important. You realize that shit's important. Uh, I don't think that what they were teaching you was important because you didn't think it was. Yeah. And that's the bigger problem. So I got very lucky by the time I got to UCI, I, or not, sorry, UCI, fuck, fuck that place. By the time I got to Kelsey <laughs> Long Beach, uh, I had been talking to a few friends about like, I don't really want to do counseling anymore because I kind of hate people. I don't really want to deal with their trauma. You know, every time you hear somebody's story and you're like comparing it to your own trauma, yeah. I, was, I was doing that and I realized I can't be a therapist if I'm going to do that the whole time. That's going to be dark. Yeah, so, yeah. I could, so I did that. Uh, and I was talking to a friend of mine and they made a comment about, well, are you in college to get a job or are you in college to learn? And I was like, I'm here to learn. Well, what do you like to learn the most? Books. <laughs> so, you know, like literature, just, just stories. Nothing. Uh, 
And I will say, I was a little worried some of my classes tried to kill the love of books in college, but I got enough of them that were respectful of my love of books that I didn't have it beaten out of me. So that's that was it. good. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, that, that's the one finding that that was really a passion. Um, yes. And different people are going to have different passions. So yeah. we need to have a, oh, she's talking about a student today. We need to have a school system that allows you to take a wide breadth of classes mm -hmm. without requiring the, um, the, uninteresting general eds. So we need general education. You guys, we all need to understand the basic level of science so that we're not assholes. <laughs> but after that, you should be able to decide for yourself. And even within the sciences, you should be able to decide for yourself which ones. And right now we're very limited. And once you've taken those gen ed classes, you're not allowed to go back. Like you've learned all, if you're a lit major, you've learned all you're ever gonna learn at the college level of science. That's inexcusable. There is no, because. Uh, well, and I believe in interdisciplinary education too. So you can't. I'm kind of a sci-fi nerd. You can't tell me that learning about science ever stops if I'm going to learn about books. I need to know what's going on in science yeah. so my sci-fi nerd dumb can stay at top notch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome though. Cool. Yeah, we can't stop learning. There's yeah. no way we it's can stop. You know they've done research into. Um, old age and um, developing dementia as you grow older. And mm -hmm. what they've discovered is as you continue learning, you're less likely to develop dementia. In fact, it's so important, Sorry. if you have dementia in your family, <laughs> yeah. make sure you get a hearing aid and glasses, because some of the research has also shown that part of that neural decay is that as people age, your um, the amount of sensory input you get is reduced. Yeah. So if you get a hearing aid, you bring that sensory input back up. Oh so the odds, of, so you, the odds of you maintaining uh, cognitive capacity remain higher. So yeah. yeah, take care of your ears, take care of your eyes, take and, care of your fucking body, and take care of your body. Yeah, yeah the new nerd is fit. It's true. <laughs> the new nerd is fit. It's true. Because <laughs> we all know that like carbs are bad yeah. or whatever. <laughs> That's a T-shirt right there, actually. The new nerd is fit. The new nerd is fit. That, is awesome. that would be a good shirt, actually. Yeah. I would wear yeah. that. There you go. There you go. <laughs> There's your project again. <laughs> so Patreon, and that's the first thing you put for like the high tier Guys, we have merch. <laughs> <laughs> Soon. Right next to merch. Soon to come. Yeah. No, that's really cool to think about it just because uh, Melanie and my grandpa were, he has dementia. He had yeah. dementia and passed away from that. And it was definitely an eye opener on these are things we need to really understand and how can we face them and because in our family it's not like yeah it's not things where it's like oh you're sick you'll get over it mm. put some vaporu put some vix you know like, <laughs> like things like that where it's like very just you'll get over it but and it's but it's also really hard because it's like i didn't grow up having a health care i didn't grow up and even to this day like when i did have insurance you know and i say did because right now with the part-time job that i have and even the full-time job that i have it doesn't provide health care and so it's like i struggle with but when i did have it i was still scared to go to the doctor and be like hey, I have full coverage, but I don't know how to go to the doctor because it's scary because yeah. that bill, that bill, yep. the insurance is going to like ring me up. I don't have money for that. And it's impossible to predict in advance how much you're going to go in for. Too. Yeah. Like, yeah. well, okay, this could be a small little bill or this could be insane. My, um, at the time he was my boyfriend, now my husband, for <laughs> a long time. When we were both, uh, he was 19, I was 18. We had both just graduated high school. Uh, he was, he had no health insurance. He had a kidney stone. We went to the emergency room thinking it was just going to be an easy, no yeah. big deal. $16,000 for that kidney oh, stone. Man. 
both of us together doing, you know, little part-time jobs, doing the best we could. The next year, he had a kidney stone again, oh, went back again. God. That time it was $32,000. So add the 32 to the 11 we still hadn't fucking paid off yet. Yeah. We didn't finish paying off medical debt until, I say we because I did most of the paying. <laughs> we didn't finish paying that stuff off though until I think I was like 25 or 28. And then still we have one last uh, emergency room bill that's it's oh finally my. down to like, oh, we only have 2,000 left on it. But that's the oh fact that we have, God. you're telling me an 18 year old child, like not myself, my husband, you're telling me he deserved to be punished with that level of financial um, debt? You're telling me he deserved, because he got a kidney stone, he deserved to be free? That's insane. Yeah, uh, obviously we need universal so, free so health. How yeah. do we, how do we stay healthy? You know, mm -hmm. it's, it's hard. Like, I mean, there's only really so much we can do, right? Like I understand health and fitness, and like really just feeding ourselves, and I understand that. But there's things that are inevitable. We also live in a broken society. Yes. We live in an ecosystem where it isn't the cleanest air. Yep. You know, so, uh, what is it? Living in LA is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Exactly. Yeah. So it's like we do, so it's like we only have like so much to our ability to like really keep ourselves healthy. Yep. So it's like, you know, this health healthcare system isn't really good. <laughs> well, and what we also see is that um, the areas that are the most disadvantaged also suffer the most from the environmental health impacts. Mm -hmm. So fucking even in the city of long beach yeah. yeah you go to north long beach you're closest to the refineries you're closest to the oil rigs you're closest mm -hmm. to all the shitty um environmental factors you go to belmont shores how much of that shit do you see very <laughs> little <laughs> so yeah. we know what we're doing yeah or i would say we the system knows what it's doing yeah. and a really great way to keep a population pacified is to keep them ill to make them worry to make them live in areas where you are more than willing to put up environmentally disruptive and health disruptive yeah. facilities. Yeah. So at that point, I like, feel like you... we've already been in class war for like a few hundred years. And yeah. It's time that our class starts fighting back. Yeah. Like at that point, what do you pick? Right? Do you peer, Do you pick? Uh, what did you say? A, a hearing aid, or do you pick rent? Yeah. Like, yeah, do you perfect. do you pick? You know, you have to pay for rent, or do you? Pick feeding your kids, you know, it's like, which one is it? It's and these are all inelastic needs, right? Yeah. These are all things that no matter where you are in life, you need food. Yeah. Like, there's no amount of food that you all want to just stop eating for four weeks. No, you can't. Yeah. Uh, same thing when it comes to rent, same thing when it comes to uh, education, clothing, and things like that. So if we as a humane system, as previous systems in the world have done, if we treated those inelastic demands as natural human rights, uh -huh. imagine how much more advanced our students could become. Every single student knows for a fact that when they go home tonight, they don't have to worry about mom and dad being upset or nervous about rent. They don't have to worry about mom or dad not eating so that they can eat. Yeah. They are covered by their community and by their culture. I genuinely cannot understand why anyone would choose to live in a culture that allows children to have to watch their parents worry about rent. Because all you're doing is you're setting up that child to become uh, depressed or it's angry. Yeah. Level. Yeah. 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 And it's yeah. pointless. We again we have enough resources. In the city of Long Beach, there is currently enough open housing to house every single homeless person currently living within our borders. Honestly. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, there literally <laughs> there is. Really is. Yes. And yes. yet we make choices not to. My rent, I don't even want to talk about how fucking high my rent is. My rent is so high right now that I have to live, me, my husband, and my brother. So I'm in a professional occupation. I've been doing my job for a decade, 
and I can still barely afford to pay rent. There's Shit. no chance oh I'm buying a fucking God. house. That is a broken system. That's a system yes. that needs to be reevaluated. And we, as the people living under that system, have a right to reevaluate. Yeah. 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 That's that's definitely one of my points where I, it's like I would never even try yeah. to invest in property, no. especially here in California. Well, if you're gonna wait until the next bubble, because you know there's gonna be a bursting one, per, like probably in the next couple yeah. years, watch that's, for it. It's that's hilarious. Like, yeah, that's I like love it. watching rich people freak out. <laughs> I'm just sitting there like, no yeah. need for Netflix. Well, I literally, I have no investments, so I don't have to worry about that shit. So it's you just sit back and watch like the rentier class go, oh no, oh no. <laughs> oh, 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 well, besides uh, oh my God. Teaching. What else do you dedicate yourself to? Uh, well, I'm a painter. So okay, that's cool. I did notice your Instagram. Yeah, right. I have a lot of painting, yeah. which is beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I actually, so I taught myself painting uh, okay. from YouTube. So yeah. I love YouTube. <laughs> I've been painting for about four or five years now. Was okay. it 2015 is when I started? So four years. Um, is there specific arts that you like to paint or? So I you work mostly in acrylics and then I tend to do either abstract pours where you take, uh, you water down your acrylics and then I like to use gold and silver and sparkles. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you pour that all together and you kind of move it around on the canvas without a paintbrush and just let gravity do the wow. work. And it creates some really interesting abstracts. Uh, but then what I really like to do, uh, I do those to like loosen up as an artist. Okay. Um, the work I have been really loving is um, I do still lifes that are designed to make a person think about what the fuck we've done to our environment. <laughs> so yeah. all of my still lives are potted plants, dead things, and um, toys. And the remind the goal behind the art is that people will look at it and be reminded of a world, or not reminded, be, um, have a world projected into their mind wherein all of their children get to live with nothing but potted plants, dead animals, and toys. And so hopefully they'll, they'll wow. reconsider how they treat their world when they yeah. see those yeah. images. Yeah, like your art speaks for itself. I, I hope so. Well, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it speaks for itself enough, but I'm more than willing to explain it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was a, one of the paintings that I saw um, on your page, and it was, I think it was a white hand and like a black black hand or something oh, like that. Yes. And one of uh, them was like... Pulse. Yeah. Yeah, the blood-covered hand. And oh. that one... It yeah. spoke to me, and I'm like, that's. that's I good. did that one on the night or the day of the Pulse nightclub shooting. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely some some good art. You have Thank some good you. Art. Oh, I've also been practicing portraiture lately, and I'm super proud of my Frida Kahlo. It looks like Frida yeah. Kahlo. It's like, yeah. <laughs> did you post it? Did you? Uh, I think I did. Yeah. I think, I think she did. did. Yeah. I think yeah. Did. I remember saying something like that. I've kind of been offline. <laughs> oh, don't worry about it. Like every now and then. So. Yeah, check her out. Oh my god! Oh, okay, it looks a little bit like her. It looks everything like her. That is good. That's beautiful. Cute. She drew. She drew that. Oh snap! That's some good stuff. <laughs> you guys can. Detail. You guys can see yeah. the artwork if you go check it out on her profile. Yeah, my Instagram is J J J A M E S nineteen eighty one because I'm that old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's alright. It's alright. Go check it out. Um, we'll definitely have to post her page. Later. We have to. Cool. Usually, what we'll do, we'll post. Um, we'll definitely like post on Sundays, and then we'll get make a post about you on like Monday, and just like a description of what we've learned from each other on, mm. on the episode. And then we'll for like three days straight, we'll post about you and like our our story. And then Wednesday, we'll do another post. And so because we'll more just... people to know about us. Yeah. 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 Like, cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'll just say something. Um, I have social anxiety. No, don't. Yeah, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> do what you're gonna do. Uh, you can put uh, some of your art, you know, <laughs> things like that. So, 
<laughs> cool. No, do I'm, you have siblings? I do. I have yeah. an older brother actually, okay. and, and he's, oh, you, he lives with you. He does. Yeah, he okay. lives oh, with us. Yeah. Uh, he's also a teacher. He okay. teaches a second, third combo class right now, and oh. he's amazing. Yeah. He's a giant teddy bear of a man, oh. six foot oh. three, with a huge beard, and he looks nothing like me, and I love him so much. Oh, <laughs> I just love that. Yeah. Shout out, shout out. Shout out to Josh James. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Did you tell him that you were going to be on a podcast? I did. Yeah. He was like, for your students? And I was like, well, they're people. <laughs> people first, okay. Exactly. That's what I said. What did your husband think about? Oh, he thought it was pretty cool. Yeah. He's a huge technology guy. So when he heard that I was doing a podcast, he's like, oh, are you special? And I was like, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, do you have any like future plans personally, professionally? or? Yeah. Well, so one mind? of the things that I've been trying to work on... Um, Besides my... space. Besides oh, space. yeah. Well, I obviously yeah. I want to go to space. Yeah. <laughs> it is my preference if Elon Musk goes to space that I will then follow him <laughs> and destroy him and take over his empire. So, right. Because yeah. right. you know he's going to try and become Emperor Mars, right? Like, oh, you know that's point. his plan. Well, that's <laughs> human nature that we're expected to, to see. I don't believe in human nature. Like, I don't know what that means. Because different cultures all behave so differently. Um, to yeah. me, often human nature is usually just whatever the current culture's excuse for shitty behavior is. And that is exactly what I mean. <laughs> okay, yeah. Well, and that's why I want to go to Mars and kill Elon Musk, so I can set up my own culture. <laughs> my way. <laughs> um, so one of the things I want to do, um, the research that I do over the summers is usually... Um, pretty much designed to combat white supremacy and racism because of my upbringing. So I feel like it's yeah. kind of my personal responsibility as, as a white person who was raised by racists mm. to disrupt that shit. Yeah. Um, and what I do now is I only integrate it into my class teaching in as far as like, I'll mention it a little bit and I'll give a couple of like examples of people who have done activism mm. uh, that's either anti-Nazi or anti-racist. What I would like to do is try to figure out a way in future semesters to get my students doing their own anti-racist research and finding ways to connect and then becoming actual activists in the real world. Wow, so for instance, yeah. one right now, uh, we have literal concentration camps on our borders mm -hmm. and ICE has only existed for about 20 years. Exactly. ICE needs to be abolished and these concentration camps need to be closed. Very so if I can get my students to, um, to well not just to acknowledge it, but like to come together and to actually go down in Long Beach, right here mm -hmm. in our city, we can go down to ICE headquarters with signs and protests. We can ask the people who work there to reconsider their job choices and maybe become a teacher instead. <laughs> we don't. Yeah. So. I I support that. Like, yes. so we being a person plans. that we got like, plans. Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. Give you, you know, being a person that. Her father got deported, um, then five years later, my brother got deported. Um, my mom is kind of in hiding and has been in hiding for 10 plus years already. Um, and I have family, we have family that has been in hiding. And so it's definitely, um, not only did my dad face and is still facing trauma, but me as a 16 year old at that time faced trauma, my nine year old sister, and then my nephews that, you know, they're- It's generational it's, trauma. Is it's what generational it trauma. So it's. I support that and I love that and I have always been looking, I mean times are busy, always life gets oh, busy, sure. but I mean when it's work like that, exactly. I am on the front lines with that 100%, whether it's um, organizing something with you or being behind you and let's do it, Absolutely. let's make it happen. Well, and so what I'm trying to do is, as the, the white lady, I'm trying to actually stand behind. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, well, my people have had enough of a fucking say, maybe it's time that we just support others. 
Yeah. So, yeah. Well, we're here then. But, we're here well, with you. And well, here's the other thing. As an educator, so looking at it, disrupt the concept of race entirely. We as teachers have been scared out of activism starting with the 1990s. In the 1990s, there was a huge terrifying movement in this fucking state to um, to yeet out all of the gay teachers. Like just if, if you were gay, you're fired, that kind of thing. And then at the same time, we were doing uh, banning bilingualism. We were banning teachers from using Spanish in the classroom. We passed legislation in this country or sorry, in this state to ban that. It was luckily our Supreme Court in this state pointed out that that was some bullshit. And so yeah. now, we, now we get bilingual education again. Yeah. But after having that happen in the 90s, you had a whole couple generations of teachers who witnessed that and became very afraid to stand up and fight for their students, fight for their rights, fight for their needs. I think our generation of students, the ones that are coming up through my classes right now, I feel like the, this is the generation that's going to come back to being the activist teacher and the only teacher is the activist teacher. If you're not an activist, you're not really teaching, are you? You're probably just trying to, you know, pour information into somebody's head and they're not a cup. They're not going to take it. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. Well, <laughs> man, it's a full conversation. I loved it. I am like obsessed with it. Um, I don't know if you guys have any other questions. Oh. I ran out. <laughs> Not right now? I know I ran out of questions. Uh, I mean, I don't think I ran out. I think it's like there's just so many. But and yeah. there's just like, but there's also so much to soak in. Yeah, I'm and soaked like, in everything. I'm just like embracing everything we just talked about yeah. and everything that was said. And now it's as much as like we spoke about every every topic and every um, issue and per, um, future you know things now it's the action following behind yeah. it and it's like let's do it and it it takes one you know and whether it's you doing what you're doing and us doing what we're doing now unionizing exactly yeah. before we were like this and now we're a fist yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And and what like, I mean by like running out of questions is that you, I, I would ask a question, you'll keep exactly. on saying it. I will think of another question, then you'll answer right away. That's exactly how I written down questions, and like, I mentally memorized them, but she like answered all of them. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm like, all right, cool, just keep going. <laughs> You're a good writer, right? Like, yeah. Honestly, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Awesome. Dwayne, do you have any questions? I actually do have a question. Oh, yeah. Scoot hey. up, bro, scoot up, <laughs> um, so my question is, how hard, how hard was it for you to break the psychological effects of um, racism and um, like a whole ancestry of having your whole supremacy thing? Oh, it is, it is still a problem. Um, there are amazing authors like Beverly Tatum wrote a great book called um, Can We Talk About Race Yet? And in it, she talks about what it means to be a white person who is a privileged recipient of a history, a 200 year at least history of racism and how using um, that position of privilege by acknowledging the privilege, you can kind of move forward in conversations. And I feel like I am still literally every year having new shocks come to mind. For example, I've been taught, I've told my class in the past um, that when I was in junior high, my parents uh, allowed me to dress up for Halloween in black face. Uh, something I'm pretty fucking ashamed of. I've been aware of that as a problem now for about three years. Just this past semester, I remembered that when I was even younger, my parents dressed me up as Carmen Miranda. Wow. So that struck me as an adult, re remembering that and realizing the fucking disgusting nature of what those people enabled me to do. 
uh, made me kind of have a little bit of a breakdown. <laughs> so it, yeah. it reminded me that I, uh, I still literally have blind spots that they've created for me in my way of thinking and understanding the world. Now, I, as a white person, am able to read these texts and say to myself, okay, I'm obviously opposed to this. What is it that I can do? Because just being not racist is not sufficient. Mm -hmm. Being not racist is the equivalent of doing literally fucking nothing. Mm -hmm. President Trump thinks he's not racist. He literally has said, I'm the most not racist person in the world. <laughs> uh, so if he thinks he's not racist, then just being not racist is not enough. Yeah. So then as uh, to try and combat this bullshit that my people have created, um, to be anti-racist means to talk about it openly and actively, to put myself in a position of vulnerability where I'm willing to acknowledge like what mistakes I've made and the potential for future mistakes, and to learn how to shut the fuck up and support other people. And I think that that's something that a lot of white people hear and get offended, mm -hmm. and they shouldn't, but they should, I know, white people are stupid, what are you? I'm one, so it's okay, I can say it. <laughs> <laughs> white people get to have a tendency to get offended when they hear things like, let other people talk. Because to lose privilege often feels like oppression, but it's not. You're just yeah. not as privileged. So my goal is to help white te future teachers who are white understand that you can be an ally and you can be more than an ally. You can be an accomplice. You can actually help change the system and to help my students who are persons of color uh, recognize their power in the system mm -hmm. as the real voices of the people. We are a diverse community. We are not a monochromatic culture. Yeah. So having those students feel that they actually have efficacy and having my white students recognize that you can be a good person, but not if you're just not racist. Just not racist is not good enough. In the same way that just reading and writing, that's not good, that's enough. Not good enough. Yeah, you gotta try a little bit harder. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So no, that's definitely like a. Wow. That's, a, that's that, a really good question. Yeah, yeah that's a really good question. Um, Rachel, what's her name? Um, it's an activist that I that I follow on Instagram, and she talks a lot about how we can't just say, okay, you know, I'm not racist. Is yes. That's just not good yeah. enough. You know, it's also being able to talk about these yes. things mm -hmm. and not getting. Fucking butter yes. about it. You yeah. know, I'm not saying, oh, well, I'm not racist. It's like, mm, okay. Ooh, that's it's... that lizard brain reaction that you said. That's that second yeah. brain where your yeah. emotional yeah. response is to defend yourself. Yeah. You don't need to defend yourself. If you're actually uh, not racist, yeah. then you don't need to jump to defense. What mm. you need to do is ask how you can help to do something that's going to defeat racism as it stands in this country today. Because yeah. colorism is not fucking going away by not talking about it. Racism, not going away by not talking about it. Classism, not fucking going away by not talking about it. And and sexism, not fucking going away by not talking about yeah, it. Exactly. And and for us in the LGBT community, we're not going away. Yeah. <laughs> we just um, and I definitely recommend listening to this episode. We um, interviewed one of my favorite customers here, Byron uh, Adams. Byron, Byron Adams, Scott Adams. Yeah. Byron Scott Adams, and he talks. He's an activist for the queer community, and just he's grown up in like just embracing like what he is and who he is and what he stands for and um you know and just it's such a beautiful episode because he talks about how we grow up thinking okay racism is a thing you know these stereotypes towards as me as a latina is a thing but then he also states like there is stereotypes there is a culture behind the queer the lgtb community right and we don't we don't see it yeah it's literally excised from the history books. Yeah. Think about my favorite. Um, there's a middle age or dark ages, whatever period. <laughs> that is. Yeah. It's middle age. There's a middle aged um, text called the Lieutenant Nun, and it's about a person who was identified female at birth, 
-hmm. And then when she was in her teens, he decided to start wearing men's clothing. He mm. fled from his community. He joined the military. He killed lots of people in imperialist wars that I don't support. Uh. <laughs> and yet, so all of that's happening at the exact same time as you're learning about Columbus. These are contemporaries of each other. How come we don't learn about that person? Exactly. But we learn about Columbus, the guy who, you know, liked to sharpen that knives fun. on fucking yeah. children. <laughs> like, what the hell? Like, Although, again, she was not a good lady. I mean, never. They were not a good person. Yeah. Yeah. They, they killed a lot of people. But they also got married yeah. wow. to a woman who didn't know until after. Yeah. <laughs> Such a good book. Yeah. <laughs> I, love I love that. Yeah, check out The Lieutenant Nun. It's very weird. Lieutenant Man, there's so many books right now that I'm like, oh, I know. <laughs> I really hope the people listening to this like, are, are taking notes. Yeah. Like, look at all of this. So, Earthseed, Lieutenant Nun, Beverly Tatum. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Lots of good books. Like side notes yeah, yeah, we can definitely put I this will. on like the side notes mm. and like, um, yeah, and if you guys ever want to like <laughs> yeah. reach out and be like, hey, what was this book that um, that one of our people that we've interviewed, you know, whether it's you, whether it's previous, whether it's future ones, you know, like we're always like in the ability to like we have the capacity and the ability to go back to back in and take them out to you guys or. Man, I'm stuttering all over the place, but words are hard. Words, words are, hard. are hard. I, I say that too. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Have you ever been tested for dyslexia? No, but you I should. should. <laughs> words are hard. I hate names and dates. Like, I'm just not going to bother. Yeah, I tell them that I, I, I really should sometimes. Because it's like, probably <laughs> when, it comes, when, it comes to, when it comes to, like, even posting things on Instagram for, like, uh, Rose Park Roasters, I was always, like, misspelling things or like mm -hmm. doing things wrong and I'm like oh Carla you wrote this wrong I'm like I swear I did it like my brain just kind of like I, like, I really should how, how shitty is your handwriting when it, not when you try hard I mean when you're just writing when I yeah when it, like notes to people and shit yeah, it's like pretty hard to read yeah, yeah. yeah. check it's out like dyslexia <laughs> Conversations? Do you ever find yourself saying like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Yeah. We literally have a yeah. podcast. Yeah. That's a dyslexia thing. That's a dyslexia thing. <laughs> no, I actually have like really bad handwriting. Oh, you do too. Yeah, yeah check out for really dyslexia. Um, but I was I was taught shorthand oh, before I was taught. <laughs> that's amazing. I never learned shorthand. So. Like, that's a skill. <laughs> Um, I think that, yeah, just everything that you're doing just by the person who you are is definitely great. And I see a lot of that as well with my <laughs> with my best friend, Nicole, too, because I was also born and adopted and I was raised in an American white community as well. And I only had like one other sister. She was Guatemalan as well, but she also like just was used to the American society. Like that's her. And my best friend always growing up, would always ask her, is it weird to you that like, like your best friend is brown or like does that ever like affect you or is that ever like just about random questions you know or like what do you think for like having your best friend just being like brown like I really because I really didn't know much about anything else like Latin culture this or that and she was like because she grew up in the natural with her family and everything to just not even racism or anything but just accepting and loving to anyone so she always she never really thought that was a big deal she's like you're my best friend I don't really see color or any of that but now, if you guys have seen the show, This Is Us, incredible, just so many outreaches on everything, and there was just one with, I don't want to spoil anything, but Randall, he is African American, he was talking to his dad, trying to express things, um, where he was kind of underlining, the um, underlining. have you guys seen this episode when you during golf? Uh, probably, but continue. continue. Uh -huh. And he was, yeah, he was 
he was taking a golf class with his dad and he was just kind of sharing stories and everything and he was implying the struggles that as an African-American man is going to go through but the dad didn't catch on he in general he's just like you can do what you want to do don't let them talk to me he's like you're not really picking up what I'm trying to say so that really opened Nicole's eyes my best friend shout out Nicole she was like and this happened this last week and she's like I just want to apologize to you well I'm like why are you apologizing she's like because it was never enough. Yes, I know what you mean. I understand now why you kind of asked that. To me, I was like, it is. I would even ask my ex too, because he was white American. I'm like, is it ever like, do you ever cross your mind that like your girlfriend is brown? And now I've come to realize it's like, because it, that's not what I was, that's everyone else around me was white. But she was like, I never really caught on to that. And I'm sorry I didn't really see that anymore. But now it's like, that has helped me now to be have that voice and share a little bit of that activism and everything to talk about it in front of everyone else you know now i don't just see where it's like sometimes that's not enough where it's like i don't see color yeah no that's, yeah if you don't see color that means you don't see the problem that's exactly yeah. what she brought up too yeah. and so she just came up like 10 12 10 11 years of friendship and she's one who came to me i never even saw this coming and apologized and just like i love you so much more and i hear you now and i understand why you asked that in the past even though i didn't understand and i'm like wow i never but really that was also this. maybe like that was also giving and that's really awesome that's actually really really exciting that she was able to see that and now finally you know open her all senses yeah, yeah. all senses to well, that. and just the recognition yeah. that culture isn't individualized yeah. Yeah. so yeah. you may be a great person who yeah. quote unquote doesn't see culture mm -hmm. or doesn't see color but your culture yeah. sure and i think does. that was something that was pushed onto you yeah because there's been a lot of moments that you're like carla i just don't understand how like like money situations right where it's like i have my family has always struggled with money mm -hmm. right whether it's healthcare, whether it's um, rent, food, whatever it is. And that's why now, me as, as an adult, I am very like, this is where, I know where, you can ask me how much do you have in your account, and I know where every penny is at and where every penny has been going to, right? And you're like, money comes and goes, money. But that concept to me was very hard to be like, I can't just say money comes and goes. No. I can't just, because it's hard to let go of that. Yeah. Money mostly and, just goes. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's like, so that's just an example, right? Where yeah. you were taught where it's like, yes, money comes and goes. Mm -hmm. But in like the way that I was raised, the way that we were like, everything was put onto us, you know, as Latinos and Latinas, Latinx, that's how we were taught. Mm -hmm. And you were taught a different way, mm -hmm. especially from your background, right? Mm -hmm. You were into a, a white family. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely something yeah. that you even gathered. But yeah. now that she was able to, see that and really acknowledge it i think it's and you definitely have like acknowledged living in the cold and with us yeah, right? yeah. Well, i'm like what is that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's telling us to get out it's done but um but that's awesome that is really yeah. really awesome that you were yeah. able to and i experienced that but from like the other way around where i was dating like a black girl that's uh when i was like 15. Uh -huh. and she asked me it's like do your parents feel weird that you're dating a black girl? And I'm like, they know I'm dating you, but, but do they feel weird about it? It's like, no. It's like, why? Like, don't they care that I'm black? It's like, yeah. they just know that you're black. They don't really care. And it's like, but they acknowledge that we have different cultures, right? That we don't think the same. It's like, yeah, I've lived in this neighborhood all my life. We know the differences. Yeah. We just, that's you. You know, and we can live together, and that's cool. Didn't work out at yeah, the end of the day. You were 15. No, I was 15. <laughs> I don't know shit. I don't know shit now. Good thing it didn't work out. 
Because now we have Because now, now I have the best one. But it was, it was, I never thought of that until you just right. mentioned that right now. I was like, holy shit, like my yeah. family, we know there's fucking differences. Mm-hmm. We just, we don't care to think of it as negative. Well, like we you just said, acknowledge you, it. You yeah. live in the community, so mm-hmm. it's all about proximity to human beings, to other, to different types of people. Exactly. In my family, I was literally told growing up, before I was even considering dating, before I even hit puberty, mm. I was told if you ever bring home a black man, you'll kill him and you. So, kind of a fucked up thing to grow up yeah. hearing. Yeah. Uh, and then when it came time to date, who am I even considering as possible? Mm-hmm. Like, who am I going to say yes to? It, who can I bring home without getting myself and them killed mm-hmm. became a huge issue. Uh, I had actually a question for you about, um, so, from an adoption background, right? Yeah. Uh, did your adoptive parents do any work toward, like, connecting you to the culture of She your, definitely uh, always tried to. Excellent. And I remember, like... You know, she would always bring, anytime she would bring, she went to Guatemala, she would come back, she would bring souvenirs. Oh, cool. And anytime, so I, and obviously I already knew I was adopted, like, mm-hmm. hi, I was the only brown skin, everyone else, like, right, <laughs> I was adopted? No, I already knew. And she really helped bring that pride in. Excellent. So I'm like, yeah, I am from Guatemala. Excellent. But, and I did my cute little research, like, oh yeah, Guatemala, we speak Spanish, we make tortillas, like, really, that's like the little bare minimum I knew, but she was always for it. And that's, that's definitely excellent. something where, like, I'm really happy. And then I met Carla, she was the first person I really met, her and her sister that actually opened yeah. the doors to understanding and learning and being hands-on with my community nice. and boom ever since like my passion heart just up levels even further Excellent. so awesome i always knew which is awesome good. which is so great to see that her adopted mom was, was like even good. to the day that we were able to go find her birth mom mm-hmm. like we saw mm-hmm. there was just little signs that her adopted mom was like i stayed in this hotel um just little things you know mm-hmm. where i'm like man like Thank God for, or thank, you know, whatever, higher power, whatever you want to thank, you know, thank goodness that your adoptive mom put these little things Ooh. here for you to see your culture, your birth mom, your, your birth mm-hmm. siblings, you know, things like that. She's like beautiful supportive. things like that. And so it just, yeah, it gave you an open mind mm-hmm. in general. And it started with her. Boom. Nice. Right. Like it started with Adolf Figueroa. She was always for that. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It started with love. Yeah. In a loving yeah. environment. Yeah. Cool, cool. Well, any other yeah. questions, guys? I think it's a good place to end off. Yeah, I mean, I don't. This was great. I really wow. hope you had a good time. Oh yeah, yeah. great. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah, was... I feel like you should get extra credit, but you're already getting it. <laughs> 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 I can give you extra credit in other classes. No, I, can't. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Oh, yeah, I can too. If, um, I, could, if yeah. I could take away every other class that most of my students have, I would. We do it so wrong. Which I love hearing from my cousin what you're doing, yeah. you know, whether it's um, starting class with meditation yeah, and things like that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, man, I wish I, had, I wish I had a teacher like that, yeah. you know, that didn't... I wish I had that too. I'm, I'm <laughs> glad I could do that thing. I wish I loved that. There's just so much, like, benefits to it. Yeah, yeah. So it's definitely a good thing that you're doing. And like I said, uh, when it comes to being an activist, please don't be afraid to reach out and we as well we're like hey oh yeah jess what can we do with this we need i think this is a good partnership especially with the university there too so thinking in terms of like bringing in so yeah i'm yeah i'm more than willing to be a liaison i will help in all ways Uh, oh good excellent and seriously about the patreon too so get your patreon started and then i'll Fucking cool. post it on my Instagram and everywhere else. So I love get you guys some money. Money. Yeah. <laughs> to make yeah. it bigger. Yes. To make it bigger. Yes. 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 Well, awesome. um, 
Thank you. Thank you Thank for you. joining us once again, and we really appreciate it. And um, yeah, definitely a relationship built here today. Nice. It's, it's a connection that's for a long term for sure so um thanks well um if if you guys don't have anything else to say i think we're good in the end you guys it starts with you yeah you have a voice 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 and action and we're stronger (laughs) together union (laughs) yes work better work union (laughs) (laughs) another (laughs) t-shirt Well, thank you guys. Um, thank you, Latinx audience. We appreciate you guys all the time and every time. So, va pues. Vámonos.